0: November is the last focused month before the holidays kick in. People are often head down, trying to hit targets, or to finish projects. This makes it a great time to show your team some gratitude. At Rebel, we talk a lot about building authentic cultures, and showing gratitude is the key. You can feel it when you're in a workplace that values gratitude and appreciation because the vibe is tangible, and when it's missing, it's equally evident. At Rebel, Showing gratitude and appreciation is something that we've seen trickle through our business in ways we never would have imagined. It's worked its way through the organization right up to the customer, and from there to our bottom line. Its impact should not be ignored. You can show gratitude in big ways and small ways. In the past, we've opened up a tab at a coffee shop near our office so staff can enjoy a latte or a treat for their hard work. Sometimes showing gratitude is as simple as taking the time to genuinely thank people, to let them know you recognize how their contribution made a difference. That's what building an authentic and awesome culture is all about. Until next month, this has been Rob Villeneuve, CEO of rebel.com and Startup Canada Fellow for Culture and Engagement. Meet Canada's leading changemakers at the 2016 Startup Canada Awards Grand Finale in Toronto. On November 29th, join us to celebrate the 16 national winners of this year's awards. Hear their inspiring stories and mingle with the who's who of Canada's entrepreneurship community. Register today for this exclusive must-attend event. Tickets are available at startupaward.ca forward slash events.
1: the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca forward slash startup today.
0: Entrepreneurship doesn't have to be tough when it's cooked right co-founder of Relish Gourmet Burgers, serves up well-done recipes for startup success. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast
2: Network. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett, the CEO at coachingbyrockstars.com. Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of canadian entrepreneurship on the show we will fill you in on the trends opportunities and possibilities of your next steps as an entrepreneur and we're going to have amazing conversations on advancing entrepreneurial success and growth in canada if you're a regular startup canada podcast listener Welcome back and thanks to any of our new listeners. Remember to subscribe to the Startup Canada podcast on the iTunes stores and then visit startupcan.ca to become a member of Startup Canada and get access to mentors, resources, support, and opportunities to start. And grow your business. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, we are back to the Maritimes where so much magic is happening. And I am just so thrilled to have as our guest today on the Startup Canada podcast, Margaret McCuckern. She's the owner and chief artisan. She's an entrepreneur at Nitpickers by Margaret McCuckern, based on Prince Edward Island, where magic happens every day. And on today's show, we will be discussing how to get international. National attention on a small budget the importance of shopping local how sharing and giving back to the community can help you to grow your business and how cultural businesses improve our well-being and economy. Margaret is a knitter and she's a weaver whose retail studio is located in rural Cavendish PEI and trust me it's not rural uh, around the Cavendish music festival that happens every year with the great concerts and so on. it's more like downtown Toronto but her designs are. In inspired by the beautiful island landscape. And in in 2005, she opened Knit Pickers by Margaret McEachern. She designs and knits luxurious wool sweaters and accessories and weaves tartan shawls, capes, throws and scarves. Margaret insists on using only wool that is manufactured in Canada. Bravo! Shorn from sheep ethically raised on Canadian farms. This is cool. In the summer of 2005, actually, Margaret was commissioned by the Canadian Pavilion at Walt Disney World Epcot Center to design and an in a line of maple leaf sweaters and accessories. 2007, she was invited to participate as a demo artisan at Walt Disney World as part of the Atlantic Canada Hearth and Home exhibit. And then, of course, the journey continues because in 2011, an international group was created to form a tartan to represent the McCachran family worldwide. And on July 31st, I hope you're all keeping notes of these dates, 2012, it was, mar- it was announced that Margaret. Tartan design was chosen God love the script writers They really do a great job You know, that's great research um, this, this new Tartan, by the way That I just referenced Was, as I turn this Is officially registered With the Scottish Registry of Tartans And is permanently preserved And it archived at the National Records Of Scotland in Edinburgh This is so awesome Margaret has served on numerous boards And committees Including the PEI Cultural Sector Council As Vice Chair And on the Marketing Committee On the Central Coastal Tourism Partnership. She is a rock star. Margaret, welcome (laughs) to the show.
3: Thank you very much.
2: (laughs) Good heavens. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, good heavens is right. Oh my gosh, it just went on and on and on for good reason. And uh, congratulations on your journey, your success and uh, and doing it out of uh, our favorite region in the world, the Maritimes. Uh it's just so cool to be able to live and thrive here. And so, first of all, look, you believe that learning to make something with your own hands inspires confidence and is proven to be beneficial to your mental health and physical well-being. Can you Expand on that for us, Margaret.
3: Absolutely. I I know from my own personal experience that it's true. I've, I've worked with people from all ages, little kids right up to senior citizens. I do workshops on loom knitting. And when you work with children... They have such an excitement and such a pride when they make something all of their own. You know, it's mm. it's absolutely delightful. For fourteen years, I had my studio at a heritage village here in Cavendish. And mm. parents they were stunned when they'd see their kids who were so used to always being online and and needing constant um, excitement. They'd they'd sit in the studio and they'd knit and they'd help to dye wool. They were gobsmacked. They just, you know, they couldn't believe that their kids were doing this. And then the kids would send me pictures of what they'd made and they'd come back a day or two later to get more wool for their next project. So it's so wonderful to see this. And whether you're knitting or weaving or you're playing a musical instrument, it doesn't matter. They're all beneficial to your mental health and your physical well being. Studies show that people who make things with their hands are better at quitting smoking, at losing weight, it relieves stress, it lowers your blood pressure, Uh, it can help develop math skills and even if you're working with your hands it helps to relieve arthritis because your hands stay active. And science has done studies that showing things like knitting and, and playing musical instruments, they actually develop neural pathways in your brain and that helps ward off things like Alzheimer's. Wonderful. So what you're saying is you're actually 203. I'm 145 at least. Yep. <laughs> well, right there. for 14 years, I did play Mrs. Rachel Lind, which made my birthday in 1856, which means I don't know how old I am then. I'm pretty old.
2: <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's the key. <laughs> it's all in the head. I hate the that's word right. old. I love the word older. It's much
3: better. So are you originally from PEI? I am. Yeah. My family, they were among the first group of Scottish settlers arriving here in 1772. Right. And then my father, he was working for the federal government, so we transferred to Ottawa. And then from there, I moved to Toronto. And then from Toronto, I moved to Saskatoon, and then I returned back here in 2001. Something about home, isn't it? Oh, there's no place like it. Yeah, it's really special. So,
2: tell us about your entrepreneurial journey and how you. Found, I love your name, Knitpickers. That's so cool. <laughs> so, uh, and it's Knitpickers by Margaret McEken. Yeah. So, oh, and is that how you pronounce your last name? I want to get that correct. It is. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Cool. Um, so, tell us about your entrepreneurial journey and uh, you know, how do you? How did you come to find found find Knitpickers?
3: Start it all. Your 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 journey. Oh my gosh. Well, I learned so much of what I know in terms of knitting and weaving and whatnot from my grandmother. But as far back as probably the early 90s, 1991, 1992, I'd always wanted to open up my own studio. And I came home to the island on vacation and I saw a listing, a real estate listing. And it it was a home and it had a little wee retail shop attached to it. And I thought, oh, oh, I want to do that. I really want to do that. So I was finally able to come back to the island in 2001 and mm-hmm. then in the summer of 2002, I approached this Heritage Village and I said, you know, would you like to have a a volunteer weaver on site? I can come there on Sundays. I can do my weaving. I'll do it all for free. But I just want to have uh, some of my product on hand and see if people like it. And that way it's going to be giving me the feedback that I need to know whether or not what." My dream is, is even a viable option, you know? Right on. So then they said, free? Yeah, that's in our price point. So (laughs) off I went and I put on the long skirt and the hose and the boots and the fancy hat. And I started to do my weaving on site on Sundays. And people seemed to like what I had. And at the end of the summer, someone from the village suggested I should audition for a role at the village. And I'm going, don't be daft, I don't act. But um as fate would have it, so to speak, I, the, the funding for the position that I was working in came to an end right at the same time that the auditions for the following summer were taking place. So I auditioned and I ended up playing the roles of Rachel Lind and Marilla Cuthbert for 12 years. And while I was doing that, I continued to weave and knit at The Village and I yes. ended up creating a studio there. And we had 14 artisans there. They'd all volunteer a few hours each week to do demos in things like basket weaving and wood turning and pottery and quilting. And that's sort of how the genesis of nitpickers came to be. But it's funny when you when you laugh at the name. When I first was working to to set up the company and I wanted to call it Knitpickers, the powers that be said, oh no, you shouldn't call it that. <laughs> That's very negative. And I loved it. It, it, It made me laugh. So I just kept it. Yeah, well, good for you. Well, I'm a firm
2: believer that this key to success in business is zagging when everybody else zigs. So the first sign of success is the others didn't want you to do it. So good <laughs> for you to keep doing that. That's very cool. So there's Rachel, character. Uh, you know, this is an audience that's coast to coast. So uh, tell the tell the audience, and there's others that are outside of the borders of Canada. What uh, who who is Rachel?
3: <laughs> um, Rachel Lind is the opinionated outspoken mouthpiece out of the story of Anne of Green Gables so she's the one who called Anne skinny and ugly and freckled and redheaded and, and in turn Anne said all sorts of nasty things about her too and she was Marilla Cuthbert's dearest friend and they were polar opposites and they yeah it was just it was fun. Yeah, I bet it
2: was fun. How great is that? I always thought it'd be the, one, of the, one of the coolest jobs. No, I didn't say coolest, but one of the easiest jobs in the world has got to be a member of the official opposition in government, because all you got to do is wait for the government to say something and then just disagree with it. So your position is racial. It's exactly it. You know, you got to be that pain in the butt for everything she did, and, uh, and I'm sure it was a lot of fun you know there's a there's a restaurant down in the states called dick's and it's uh, it's just a wonderful <laughs> yeah. persona there you go in and it's all and and it's all about insults oh yeah and they have they have built this wonderful uh brand around that and uh, of course you got to have thick skin when you do it so uh, so that's a wonderful story i appreciate that well, there was- so what's what's what surprised you most about your journey? And uh, you know, um, I guess there's two kind of questions that come out of this. What's been what, what's been the biggest lesson for you, Rachel? <laughs> or and also that your company has has
3: learned. Well, when you're in business for yourself, life never stands still. It's always got surprises. It's challenging. So you can never stand still. And I guess my biggest lesson so far has just been to follow your instincts, to believe in in what you do, to believe in your skill set, in in terms of your knowledge, your experience, and don't be afraid to play in the big leagues. You, you're not going to win every time. You're not going to win everything you try to go for. But if you don't try, you're never never going to win anything. So right for me, that would be the biggest lesson don't don't be scared to aim for the aim for the far wall yeah,
2: I love it and and to keep doing it. Yep. <laughs> and that's great motivation. So how do you motivate yourself? Uh, I mean there's you know that's there you if if uh, if if I, <laughs> I I'm thinking anyway you're like every other entrepreneur you also get scars along with your journey. <laughs> so tell me about tell me about how do you how do you keep your mindset so uh, positive and always be pushing to to go for the big legs? I mean you just love your persona it's shining through in this conversation. But uh, you know Yes, that's DNA, but also that's you got to be doing some stuff that keeps you upbeat.
3: Well, there's there's a few things. I, I mean, first of all, when you're in business for yourself, part of what keeps you motivated you've you've got to keep going because you've got bills to pay, just like everybody else. There's no salary coming in, so mm-hmm. you know you've got to you've got to keep putting yourself out there and you've got to keep keep working at it. But I also love what I do, and yes. part of what I do the the rhythms of knitting and weaving too are also very very relaxing and meditative and almost yoga like so it even when you're under a great deal of stress you can balance it out with the work that you're doing and don't try to I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts and they were talking about life-work balance. And yes, that really, yes. really resonated with me because there is no such thing. You know, there's yes. so many times I'm working into the wee hours of the morning and, you know, if I need to get a job done, I need to get a job done and and that's it. You do what you yeah. have to do, but – as long as you love what you're doing. And then besides river, I can look out, I can look out the window and see horses. So
2: yeah,
3: you know, what's What's wrong with that? Yeah. Well,
2: well, it's true. We talked about that life work balance and then it's kind of like, well, I remember um, Richard Branson was, I think the reference point somewhere along those conversations. And it was all about, he, he always says, I don't know what this, what this life work balance is to me it's all life it's mm-hmm. play it's work it's driving in the car whatever it's just a part of your life and uh, yeah it's uh, it, does that mean that work isn't life well I don't think I think it is if you're not if you're doing what you don't love to do do but if you love what you're doing then it is definitely life along the way very cool so let's kind of let's kind of pivot towards global okay. uh, you know you've received some great global attention and uh, how did um,
3: how did the partnership with Disney Disney World come about? Well, that was, I would say, probably my first really big success with Nitpickers. And my brother will never, ever let me forget. He was instrumental in it. Nice. Uh, yep. <laughs> he, he and his wife, they were taking the kids down to Disney World one Christmas. And they they phoned us up, my sister and I, and, and said, hey, you guys want to come along Um he was working for a firm that had been involved in developing one of the rides at Disney world. So they got a real discount on the family passes and they were renting a house down there. So we had a place to stay. And besides we were the two crazy aunts who'd go on the rides with the kids while they stood (laughs) on the ground and drank the coffee. Right. Yeah. So they said, you want to go? And I said, yeah, sure. But I wanted, when I was down there, I definitely wanted to go and check out the Canadian pavilion at Epcot. I just, I just wanted to do that. So, I went in, I scoped things out, and they had gorgeous things there. But aside from the novel Anne of Green Gables, there wasn't really anything that intrinsically said Canada, that spoke to Canada. Right. You know, so I introduced myself and I had brought business cards with me and I explained the kind of work that I did. And the manager there, she said, oh, you know, send an information package when you get home and a sample of your work. So I did and i didn't hear anything and i tried phoning and i didn't get any answer and i tried emailing uh, and i found out the boutique had closed so oh i thought goodness. okay well that was interesting i had a good i had a great vacation anyway but that's sort of a dead end and yep. then lo and behold don't i get a phone call and they it was the head of the purchasing department and they were looking for something that would feature maple leaves they only wanted red and white and could I design something for them? So I said, yeah, sure. And I did. Devo- <laughs> yeah, what are you? <laughs> nope. Thanks for the call. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I I designed uh, a lady sweater, a man sweater, a child sweater, a toque, a scarf, a ski headband. And I sent them down and I thought, ah, you know, they'll maybe if I'm lucky, choose one or two pieces. Well, I got a phone call and they said, Oh, we love it. We love it. And we want to order 96 tukes and 72 headbands and 55 sweaters. And can we have it all, you know, in tomorrow pretty much. And I said, the hardest thing I ever had to say, I said, no, you know, Ah. it's me. It's me by myself. But I, what I did do is I said, here's what I can do for you. And they said, okay, so Okay. Lo and behold. I mean, I just worked my tail off and I was, I never wanted to see red and white wool again, but (laughs) you know, it (laughs) it was really, really something. And then. After that, um, ACOA, the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, they touched base with me and they said, Would I share with them the name of my contact at Walt Disney World? Because they wanted to see if they could set up a showcase there for Atlantic yes. Canadian artisans at the Canadian Pavilion. And that's how I ended up down there doing demos in 2007. Wow, that's wonderful.
2: And how long were you down there for in 2007?
3: Well, it was just over the Christmas season. Yeah, but still, that's pretty cool. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs>
2: I've got a friend of mine who says that exact same thing. I know. <laughs> and that is so cool. <laughs> well, you know, let's kind of talk about that small budget international deal because you know that's that's pretty brave that's pretty brazen for you to uh, to do that knowing the constraints that you had it, was it really just that throwing caution to the wind and see where the heck this thing goes or was it or or, or was there actually a little bit of calculation uh as you uh, as you explored it Calculation in terms of calculation in the sense, OK, um, if they if they order 100 or they order 12, you, you know, kind of in your head or I can do it. Do you, I mean, did you actually go through the process of of saying, OK, if I get it? Um. Then that's going to be great because I know this is what my
3: capacity is. Oh, absolutely. Just go go to, yeah, okay. I knew so you had that capacity in your head. Yeah, I knew what, what I'd be able do. to accomplish, but I really didn't think that they would want to order everything. Of course not. <laughs> you know,
1: I thought <laughs> yeah. they'd maybe
3: choose one sweater and maybe yes. a matching scarf, or maybe a matching toque, and that would be it. Not yes, yeah. not three styles of sweaters and like the whole the whole gamut. I didn't think that they would go for it. That way, so yeah. I knew what my capabilities were. I knew what I'd be able to get done in a given period of time, and I knew that they were looking for product it was for their Christmas season because otherwise woolies aren't really going to be selling in Florida. so right. you know, I knew what their timeframe was, but yeah, to to get that to get that response and then to have to say. Uh-huh. No, can't do that. So it that was that was a little nerve wracking, and it was yeah. delightful when they said, "Okay, great."
2: Well, and you, and that's a lesson in itself. You know, uh, don't set your up, set yourself up for failure. There, there just may be a happy medium there. I mean, obviously, people call you and contact you because you've got good products or services, and uh, you know, don't don't be afraid to quote unquote negotiate just because uh, you think they might say no. Exactly, They're calling you for. A reason is because they want your product. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's an excellent lesson. Say no, don't set yourself up for failure. Take a little less and set yourself up for success. Very cool. Well, uh, on the other side of the equation, you know, there's this wonderful trek that you had, and uh, and of course the exposure that is given to your brand and so on. You're very pra- passionate about shopping local, mm-hmm. and uh, why is that so important to you? Know, and I gave the rah rah with regards to the wool from Canada and so on, and of <laughs> course we have great wool, and it is, you know, I, I think we should be very proud of of the artisans throughout our uh, throughout our country but local. Tell me about local in your mindset.
3: Well, I always say that the the focus on shopping local really, it comes down to what I call the three E's, the environment, the economy, and finally ethics. So Ah. the first one the environment that's pretty easy if you're shopping locally you're going to reduce your carbon footprint you're not mm-hmm. transporting things from halfway across the world um i'm not saying don't ever eat a banana because we can't grow it here but right look for the most part to make your food choices and your purchasing choices something that is local because it's going to be good for the environment you're not going to be causing as much pollution that one's pretty straightforward um But then the second, the economy, when you're purchasing, let's just look at food, when you're purchasing locally grown and locally harvested food, it's good for your community. The money is going to continue to circulate with the farmers and with the grocers. It stays within your community and therefore it ends up creating more jobs and more opportunities for more businesses and more opportunities for our young people. That's mm. so important to think about because we talk about the brain drain and we talk about the the kids moving off island or moving away from the Maritimes and heading out west or off to Toronto. We've got to look at ways that we can keep the young people engaged and wanting to be doing business here. Right on. The last right one on. is an ethical choice. And from that one, we've all heard the horror stories about working conditions in clothing factories overseas and cheap, disposable fashion. But, I mean, our our closets, they're jammed full of clothes. And we always say, oh, I never have anything to wear, you know. But <laughs> it's true. So, it is you know, true.
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you
3: know, if we go to the local bargain hunter spot again and we try to find some more clothes to wear and then... Maybe it'll last one or two wearings or maybe it'll last a season and then we throw it in the garbage, which brings us back to the environment again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if we were to look as a community, as a member of, I'll call it the human community, Mm. what kind of an impact are those decisions making? If we don't support... The businesses, the big businesses that are using child labor factories overseas, if we don't support them with our money, they will stop doing those practices. Mm-hmm. They, they do it mm-hmm. because it's cheap and because people buy it. They're so going to buy right? Yep. Exactly. So if they don't, if we... Don't buy it, they won't do it. So, mm. for instance, personally, I used to use a, a lovely merino wool that came from Ontario. And that company has since moved their wool production to Turkey. Now, you know, why would you move it to Turkey? That doesn't seem to make sense economically, but costs are lower because in Turkey, they take all the old sheep, the ones that aren't as productive anymore, and the Farming practices there, I won't go into, it's some pretty gruesome details.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it
3: is. You know, I won't go into all of that, but basically it's cheaper because the animals are not well cared for. Mm -hmm. And if the animals are not well cared for, if you want to look at it strictly from a selfish point of view, if... If you, if the animals aren't going to be well cared for, their wool is not going to be in, in as good a condition mm-hmm. either. Your hair, mm-hmm. your skin is not as nice if you don't take care of yourself. The animals, it's the same thing. So mm-hmm. if I'm just, I don't, let's just say I don't give a hoot about animal welfare. I'm not saying that, but let's just say I don't. Mm-hmm. I do care about the quality of the wool that's in my product. So practices that are taking place in places like Turkey are banned in Canada and the US. You know that when you're getting your merino wool from from a place that's in Canada, you know that the animals are healthy and well cared for and ethically raised.
2: Very cool. Well, I congratulate you on that. And what I, what I, uh, I mean, you're you're honest to your principles and your values, and that, ex- that I'm sure extends to you things you do personally, but also extends to you uh, professionally. And people resonate with that, and that's the soul of your business. And it's, uh, I think that's part of the the brand that you offer. And congratulations on on, con- on not only being that way, but being continually honest in that way, I think it's very, very cool. So let's kind of uh, let's kind of talk about. Your your position in the uh, in the province as an artpreneur. Now you've been at this for a while, Mm -hmm. uh, and do you have a lot of 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 we we call them artpreneurs uh, that come to you and say, "Can you tell me how to do business? Can you you know beyond simply just the the uh, the production piece? What are the key essentials associated with business? Uh, do, Do you do you have those types of conversations a lot with? with the artisans
3: specifically that kind of a conversation no but what i did find was happening is when i had the studio with the other artisans i would i was inviting people in some people were already well established but really what i was looking to do was to pay it forward the the Heritage Village had given me an opportunity to test market my business. And so I wanted to give an opportunity to artisans who were just emerging to be able mm-hmm. to get their feet wet in the business, to to learn on the ground without having to make a great big investment. And um, the the studio space, I, we took 10% commission. It, it was nothing in terms of commission. So really they it gave them an opportunity to learn the ropes and to ask questions and there's a, a an amazingly wonderful group of people here on the island where people they they share their knowledge and so we're not adverse to having people come to us and say you know how do you do this how do i ship internationally how mm-hmm. do how how can i get more promotion that kind of thing there's a group here in my local neighborhood, we call it the G.R.A. instead of the Greater Toronto Area, we call it the Greater Rustico Area. Now, <laughs> I uh, love it. well, Rustico—I yeah. mean, it's just a little wee fishing village, right? But yeah, it's wonderful fishing village. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. But what yeah. we've tried to do is we met this winter and as a group, we... It it wasn't just artisans, but it was all the small business owners saying, Mm -hmm. okay, what can we as a group do to extend the season? What can we do to promote this area? How can we create a buzz? So we worked together and you'll find that within the entrepreneurial communities, you'll find it within the artistic communities. People are willing to share and to help and we're all open for it. So I can't say that I, you know, I, I get regular questions about it, but it does happen. And uh- yeah, sure.
2: Well, I'm sure as you continue to have the success that you are, and there's more and more, more and more artisans that want to be, uh, you know, they they learn, they get educated, they uh, they want to. See- in their field that uh, they, uh, that they're passionate about. Um, but if they just don't know how to bring that puzzle of business success together, I think you're going to see more and more of them um, uh, reaching out to you. And it might actually, might, 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 actually be another option for you as a business to be an artist and business coach where that happens to be your niche. Because, uh, I mean, I see it here in Fredericton that we've got a school here, a college of art and design and uh, the, you know, the people come out and they're just so passionate about what it is they do but they find that they can't start and build business because they've never been taught those basic fundamentals of business success. And so uh, maybe an opportunity for you, my friend. <laughs> never know. You never know. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the bigger connection mm-hmm. with uh, the artisan community. Be- and that kind of resonates with what I've just, uh, it kind of connects with what I've just talked about. You know, the government of Canada is currently having consultations to uh, advise on Canada's innovation agenda as well as to build Canada's creative industries. So... Let's talk about what your advice would be. What would you like to see happen to uh, to build up entrepreneurship in Canada's cultural sectors?
3: All right. So, Justin Trudeau, sit down here in front of me and let me talk. Yeah, sit down, okay. Justin. <laughs> here we go. All right. Here we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: First and foremost, please. Straight go. from the GRA. From GRA, Broadcasting <laughs> yeah. Live. Broadcasting um, Live. <laughs> Don't cut the arts programs in schools, you know, music, theater, dance, and and even thinking of of programs that might not fit traditionally into the concept of creative education, things like shop and woodworking. It's really important to learn those skills. And then in, in addition to that, add into a school curriculum education on establishing and running a business. And you know, continue to support programs like the Young Entrepreneurs Program. We can't, as a country anymore. We we cannot rely on big business to provide us our jobs. It's right it on. doesn't happen anymore. You're mm-hmm. not going to join a firm now and and stay there for forty five years and leave with a great pension and a gold watch. You know that's gone. That's that's right. That doesn't happen anymore. So we have to rely on entrepreneurs to provide these job opportunities but you mentioned it earlier rivers you said people don't have those skill sets so in addition to learning some of the the physical abilities to be able to create things if that's the line of work they want to go into but whether or not they're being an artisan or whether they're an entrepreneur in another field you still need Mm -hmm. those business skills Mm -hmm. so that's number one number two reduce Are You it. still there Justin and you taking <laughs> notes? <laughs> Nobody ever says no to Rachel. Anyway, okay. So That's right. It sure, don't I didn't. <laughs> Reducing barriers. You know, you've got to especially cultural businesses, they don't fit in those typical cubby holes. So, when you're looking for funding for startups, you often see that cultural and heritage businesses, they're shifted around. Oh, They're part of the tourism mandate. No, 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 wait a second, wait a second. They're not part of tourism. They're part of education. No, 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 wait a second. It's not education. It's not tourism. It's business development. It's like, wait a second. They're part of all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And if government recognizes the value and the influence and and the contributions that cultural and creative industries give back to the country, look at what just happened with um, the concert that was um broadcast by C B C
2: Yeah you know I mean yeah.
3: tragically hip Tragically hip the the pride you know mm. the, that's all part of our culture. So mm-hmm. if the government recognizes and supports these cultural industries and I'm not necessarily saying support financially I'm just saying supports in 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 terms of recognizing the value and what mm-hmm. they contribute then mm-hmm. if if they recognize it perhaps then the banks and lending institutions will also follow suit because mm. all startup businesses have problems with finance with mm-hmm. with getting financial support or even if they've got enough money set aside supporting themselves, good heavens, if you move from being a salaried employee to being an entrepreneur and you already have a home and you're going to renew your mortgage, good luck because now you're self-employed and right. it can be a real challenge. You know, and I'm speaking Absolutely. from experience and I have not bounced checks, but, you know, banks look at you and go, "Ooh, you're self-employed. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Self-employed. But if you just had a job, you just got a job last week, and you went and said, here's my uh, job offer, and here's my acceptance of it, Uh, here you go. And then a month later, you could still be out of work. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, because they call it a job, the banks are, yeah, okay, that works. That's right. And and I think, by the way, that's part of regulations is that they're allowed to lend based on that job factor. Not necessarily are they allowed to do it based on a factor of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So uh, good, good point. Margaret, I absolutely love it, love it, love it, love it. So, any other advice for Justin?
3: That's good. <laughs> <way>. <laughs>
1: any
3: other advice? <laughs> Listen to entrepreneurs, hear their stories, hear yes. hear what is needed to help. Them help the country go in the direction we need to go.
2: Right on. Well, I I must say I um I I see uh, my experiences with government. This one seems to be very open with uh with with listening, uh, dialoguing, and so on. Now, ultimately, it's it's good, it's <laughs> talk is cheap, right? But uh, what I have been very impressed with is the receptiveness of the uh, of the Department of Small Business, as an example, and innovation into helping entrepreneurs so uh, so that that makes me feel very good I absolutely well, agree well Margaret from from uh, from your neck of the woods, which I'm, sh- I'm sure every Canadian in this country it wants to visit at some point in time. Um, what, uh, what do you, do you have any more lasting pieces of advice and about, about more so, you know, dreaming to live, you know, tying into, uh, those things that are important to you have any, any suggestions as to the, uh, uh, uh listening to your
3: inside when it comes to being an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. So if if you want to be an entrepreneur, there's a few things that you always have to keep in mind. And first of all, you need to educate yourself. You you need to know what is going to be required to set up that business and what skill set is needed. And maybe, you know, can you find someone who's willing to be a mentor? You talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Having a mentor is, is so beneficial. Mm-hmm. The next step you need to do if you want to go for your dreams is to research. I know this all sounds really dry and boring, but, you but know, it's important. It is important because how many businesses, how many startups fail within the first year? You can so much better guarantee your success if you do a little bit of the dry work at the beginning. You right. know, oh, I, I could I could go off on a tangent, but I won't. Um, if you research, first of all, what is it? What is it that you want to bring to the market? Is it, you know, a goods or a service or whatever? Is there a market for it? Or maybe if the public doesn't even know that there is a market or a need for it, but you see that there is, are you able to maybe sell that idea to them? Mm. That's, you know, if if they don't see it, you still have to be able to say, ah, oh, but here's why you need it. And here's right why on. it's going to be good for you. And it's going to save you time or it's going to make life easier or it's good for the environment. So what's your niche? And then look at what your costs are going to be, what your overhead is. Do you need to rent space? Is it something, you know, can you be a mobile business or can you be a home-based business? How much money do you need to survive initially and to help grow your company? But in the meantime, how much money do you need to set aside to have your day-to-day living expenses met? Because if you're trying to do something and you're worried about how you're going to put bread and butter on the table your creativity is stifled. It really is. And then join up with like-minded individuals. That Mm -hmm. is so important. Like here Mm -hmm. on the island, I I could talk about the Chamber of Commerce or the Provincial and Regional Tourism Associations or in my business, groups like Artisan PEI, Culture PEI, the Business Women's Association, all of these things, join them Never stop learning, never stop stop growing, because it's that learning and growing that's going to keep your enthusiasm fresh. And finally, the last piece of advice is believe in yourself, believe in your talents, in your abilities, and trust your instincts. There are going to be, oh, there are some really cranky people out there who, <laughs> oh, it's true. They will, they will say some nasty things about what you're doing or, you know... I understand that not everybody's taste in music is the same. Not everybody's taste in clothing is the same. You know, I may like this music and not like that music, but you don't need to be rude about it. But there will be right. people who who say pretty rude things. Let it, let it flow off your shoulders. And, right you know, just believe in yourself and keep in mind that you create your own luck through your hard work through ethical business practices, and by maintaining a positive attitude. And that's pretty much it.
2: That's pretty much it? That's pretty darn good. (laughs) pretty darn good. Well, you know, as you're talking about that, and I'm going to close with this thought, is that uh, about belief and uh, connection with your inside and and uh, don't let the naysayers have, have a, a play. One of my favorite uh, uh, reflections is the most powerful people in the world are dream stealers. Oh, and, yes. uh, isn't that great? So uh, on that note, don't let people steal your dreams. And ladies and gentlemen, coast to coast, we are so lucky today to have margaret McCracken. she's the owner and chief artisan at nitpickers by Mar- margaret McCracken. you got to check this lady out and her amazing freaking business at www.nitpickers PEI.com, knitpickerspei.com. Margaret, what a real joy and a, um, a real privilege
3: to have you on our show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rivers. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I'll step down from my soapbox now because I can go on forever. <laughs>
2: Okay, see you,
3: pal. Bye bye. Right, thanks, bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Startup Canada
2: podcast, a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every Canadian want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content well then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events and my name is rivers corbett i'm your host as always i invite you to follow me on twitter at rivers corbett I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and uh, conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Can you talk about for the entrepreneurs, the startups that are on this call and they're coast to coast, you know, some of the the, uh, the top two lessons that you might've learned along the way, specifically relating to products strategy and from a small business perspective.
1: Oh, yeah. The the thing that I think would be most valuable to to any business, I mean, small especially, because they're taking the biggest risk, to be quite honest. You know, they either, you know, fly or or fall or fail. And um, what I would totally recommend that they do is to share as much as possible, try, prototype, share some more. I mean, stealth is dead. If you want customers at the other end of the line, once you've finished building something, you need to engage them really, really early on at the idea stage. So that's a really, really important thing. Don't be worried about someone stealing your idea just put it out there, see if it sticks, and then build upon it and test it, and and see if it if it's something that people will actually buy. Because if you're doing it in- incrementally, and if you're doing it kind of lean style, you're getting out of the building, you're testing, you're validating, you're pivoting if you need to, um, and and you're more agile than any large company will be able to to be and um, they're kind of doing that in in closed doors they're not necessarily always putting things out there so I think in that way entrepreneurs and startups are you know have the upper hand because they can do things a little bit more quickly but then you know realizing that um, you can't build it and they will come you have to try test and validate and and just be honest with yourself if something's not working just do something else